0: two games of the World Series, uh, where are you? Team racism or team cheating?
1: Oh, boy, it's really tough. What a Bob Manfred bargain, huh? Oh, geez, Louise. Could we not have had, like, you know, the Mariners in the world? Someone that was easy to root for, did it have to be? I, I find myself very much rooting for the Braves because of my utter disdain for the Astros and their complete lack of contrition uh but it, when i think about who the braves are as an organization it becomes much harder like i really enjoy a lot of the braves players um as you and i have spoken about my uh my girlfriend's <laughs> former high school classmate is charlie morton who is now unfortunately out for the rest of the series and what a tough dude to pitch another five out with a broken leg that's ridiculous legend but yeah i uh, i it's hard to say that I would be happy for either team because I don't think that I would be, but there are enough players on the Braves who I like in Freeman and Jock Peterson and Soler that I, I could deal with it. But then when I think about the chop and when I think about them being like actively not LGBTQ friendly, um, like literally omitting that from their anti-bullying <laughs> narrative, it's, it's a little, it gets a little tough. Yeah. It's uh I I would say
0: like the past 10 years of Cubs baseball have kind of prepared us well for this moment on a national scale, just in the Mm -hmm. sense of learning the muscle memory skill of putting certain elements of the franchise kind of in the back of your mind as best as you can and concentrating only on the guys we know that are really cool and we really like who have 90% been traded at this point because of that group that's kind of been in the back of our mind, but whatever. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um but yeah in in terms of uh likability certainly uh Frederick is pretty awesome. <laughs> uh I do miss the fact that um uh Acuna is not yeah. uh in in these playoffs because he would have been he would have been the number one reason to root for the Braves at, uh with the flair and the joy and just the utter endless amount of skill he's got um the fact that the Braves severed all ties with Marcel Ozuna and have pretty much not spoken of him since is actually, I think, maybe one of the best things about their organization. But uh, yeah, as you say, they do get docked for somehow ignoring the fact that Spirit Day was specifically created for LGBTQ children and LGBTQ students. And the Astros, by the way, also omitted that from their tweet. But they, Mm -hmm. at the very least, uh, listened to the outcry And about maybe 30 minutes to an hour later, put out a couple of tweets specifically about we are committed to LGBTQ youth and LGBTQ uh, charities in Houston. Here are a bunch of pictures, which uh, granted, that's the marketing department, but nonetheless, they at least acknowledge they'd done wrong, which
1: uh, come to think of it is more than their shortstops ever done. (laughs) Well and then in response to that to uh keep up with the Joneses I believe the Texas Rangers Twitter just put out a thin blue line flag. <laughs> it's yeah it's uh they're they're
0: uh, I mean the name Texas Rangers essentially could be meaning could mean that.
1: So <laughs> you know uh, yeah, yeah, so, it's 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 tricky. and And the one thing I'll say about Marcelo Zuna is that while I applaud the Braves for doing what everyone should do in that situation, <coughs> Dodgers, Urias, <coughs> <laughs> um, i it bothers me that anytime he's brought up, it's in these incredibly vague terms, and that speaks more to what the commentators are are told theoretically. But the fact that every time Ozuna's absence comes up, they're like, you know, and, and of course the Braves are without Acuna and without Marcel Ozuna for, uh, you know, some of his off the field issues. It's like you, you can say what it is. He mm-hmm. beat the yeah. shit out of a woman. Yes.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's I understand that they're worried about during the World Series tel- telecast broadcasting something that's unpleasant and upsetting. But mm-hmm. I mean, it takes away from the gravity of what he did and the heinousness of his crime of beating the hell out of, I assume his girlfriend at the time. Um, and at a certain point, unfortunately it does no favor at all to the victim to just kind of couch that in euphemism because it's, it it kind of allows people who don't want to think about that to kind of consign it to a memory hole and just say, Mm -hmm. okay, well, the controversial Marcelo Zuna, Um, and for anyone who wants to speak up on behalf of victims, it's like, they're the ones that have to do all the work because that's, they're the ones that have to bring up that kind of painful reminder, uh, as, as we're doing right now. And it's, it's,
1: well, it's a, it's a little bit like a lot of sports fans who are very offended that there's any sort of what they call, you know, politics in sports where it's like, all I want to think about watching this baseball game is baseball and nothing else. I do not want to hear about anybody's opinions. I don't want to hear about who these people voted for. Like, it's, I, I, I don't know. It's it's a little ridiculous. But I, I will say from a purely baseball perspective, losing Marcelo Zuna and losing Ronald Acuna Jr. are huge losses for a team that had World Series hopes. So the fact that they have gotten there, uh, and granted they made some good moves at the deadline, like that, that is genuinely very impressive. And they are kind of what the 2003 Cubs would have been in terms of like yeah they they were not the best team in the regular season they i can't believe I'm agreeing with Arod but i i do think that they they were theoretically like a 100 win team until all of that happened so their 88 win record doesn't necessarily reflect how good they are and good they can be um but yeah it's it's impressive and i was talking to my Mets friend Adam who who you've met and he was bemoaning the fact that the, the way the Braves got to the world series is exactly how he pictured the Mets getting there in the sense that like they got to miss out on the wild card. They got to miss out on the Dodgers and, and giants beating each other up and then go through the brewers who are not an easy team, but you know, you get through the brewers and then all of a sudden you're facing a tired team in the LCS. And now here they are. Yeah. And that's why you have to always
0: try during the regular season and, and try to go for it. And so few teams seem to understand that and kind of use the excuse of, Oh, we're going to be playing the Dodgers or the 107-win Giants at some point. So is it really worth winning a shitty National League East just so we can you know, lose to them in three or four games? And I think the one thing that we learn year after year after year is that the postseason is random. And sometimes that randomness works out in your favor if the 206 and 107-win teams end up beating the hell out of each other. And the 106-win team seems to forget that they have one of the best closures of the game and decides to burn their number one starting pitcher for a ninth inning. But, uh, <laughs> huh. Yeah. But that's neither here nor there. This is the Three Strikes You're Out podcast, the Outsports Baseball Podcast World Series Edition. My name is Ken Schultz, contributing writer to Outsports baseball prospectus, and stand-up comedian. The other voice you're hearing is friend of the pod, one half of the Away Games podcast, and the face of PC Richard and Son, Adam <laughs> Walla, good sir.
1: Damn it, Ken.
0: Yeah. How are you doing? A little bit. It's, uh, <laughs>
1: that's fair. Well, that's fair.
0: That, that's a bigger credit than I've ever had in my career. So, you know.
1: Yes. To, to your listeners who are wondering what the hell you're talking about. I was in a PC Richard and Son commercial uh, like three years ago and I thought I was done with it and then it resurfaced <laughs> recently and now it's everywhere <laughs> and I'm still making no money off of it because everything is fair and just in mm-hmm. this business. Yeah. And in the world in general. And
0: every time the Yankees strike out an opposing banner, I will think of you for the rest of your life, my friend. Not bad, huh? Yeah, that's that's it. I mean, do they teach you that when you have to audition for it?
1: Is that... <laughs> well, one thing that, that I will share with you that I thought was funny was that, so I, I filmed this thing in 2018, and uh, my my girlfriend Celia saw it, and she <laughs> she noticed I was wearing a wedding ring in the little like clip on, <laughs> online, and she was like, were you married at that time or was that like something that they, they told you to do for the commercial? And I was like, do you really think that they cared enough about this (laughs) PC Richards employee that I had to make a character (laughs) choice to be married? I was just (laughs) married at the time. What, what is the backstory of your character, kid? Yeah, I just feel like, like the salesman would be married. I don't know. You know he's, <laughs> he's working extra long hours to support his family. And I, I really think that's going to inform my, <laughs> my two words that I say.
0: Given the incredibly generous wages that P.C. Richard & Son pays all its employees, of course I could afford to raise a family and support my <laughs> beloved one and my 2.5 children in this very uh, series, very prototypical slice of Americana.
1: I don't know. I mean, even PC Richard could only afford the one son.
0: <laughs> That's true. It's, uh, yeah, he he uh, chose, you know, open up the chain or make child support payments. And a true <laughs> American tradition, yeah, went for the franchise. Uh, speaking of the franchise, we are two games yeah. into the World Series at this point. Uh, it is, at this point, a competitive World Series without competitive games, which that always makes me feel like yeah. kind of weird because... It's what I want in terms of the overall picture, uh, but it's like I really want these to be the best games of the season, and so far they've pretty much been over by the third inning both times.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree with you there. I, I think it's a little disappointing in that way. Uh, I mean, I enjoyed the fr- – I don't know who you're rooting for. I enjoyed game one more because I just think that Astros players and their fans are completely abhorrent, and it was fun to see them unhappy. Um, this this is one of the, these series where I actually wish – that this series could have gone exactly like 2019 and that I do not want any of the fans of these teams to be happy. I would love to see the road team win every single game. The most Kafka esque world
0: series ever, where no matter what you watch, it's going to rip your heart out and make you feel like utterly depressed. If you, if you go to the games and honestly, like, yeah, I was thinking until the Astros won last night, how perfect had it been that since they did what they did with the sign stealing in 2017, that they had not been able to win a single home world series game since it was found out. Like that would have been the, like Schultz kiss perfect, but the universe does not work that way. Sadly. Um, I tell you that uh, in terms of who I'm rooting for that, I, I guess nominally kind of braves for most of what you mentioned, but really like specific players. And when I say specific players, Jorge Soler uh, is the first Mm -hmm. and foremost that comes to mind. And Leading off the damn World Series like a goddamn world champ does in game one. Like that was a thing of
1: beauty that that uh home run that he mashed over the Crawford boxes. I tell you what, he might be one of the most like impressive just physical <laughs> humans in baseball. Like and when you see him pick too. up a full head of steam and, and come around first base on a double, like he is gliding and he's a large, large man and a pretty good looking man, if I'm being honest. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I certainly would not kick
0: him out of this apartment at any point. Uh, yeah, and I'm still, I still have like, even though he was at best a role player in 2016, like, still have the emotional attachment to him because he did affect several games that year. I remember a game tying home run against the Pirates in September, uh, mm-hmm. for instance, just off the top of my head, um, and certainly for the 2015 NLDS right. against the Cardinals. Like, and so far, he's not. Not in that same territory but he's a pro game so far with the the home run and the double in last night's game and it's so far him and Travis d'Arnaud I think are essentially the hitting stars of the Braves.
1: Yeah, I mean obviously Duval had the home run in game 1 so that right. was that was helpful but um and even uh, Soler came off the the COVID IL in the last game of the LCS and hit a double in that game as well. So um yeah I certainly associate him more with the 2015 Cubs than I do any any other team but I also he's part of that group along with Javi Baez where like he was one of those first few people that started coming up where you're like oh shit like we might actually be good here I remember Mm -hmm. that that first uh I don't know if it was his first game but a game in Bush Stadium where he hit two just like enormous enormous home runs and being like oh we might we might have something here so um yeah, I, I feel like I have a soft spot for anybody who was on the Cubs around those couple of years, whether it's Soler or you know, Matt Caesar. But <laughs> <laughs> Oh, absolutely, Caesar, yes. I mean, and Matt Caesar's bat too, no less. Absolutely. How cool is and it that? And at least, Jack... yeah, at least we do get to see, yeah, as as you were gonna say, Jock Peterson using uh, Rizzo and, and Bryant's bats. At least we yeah. at least we got some Cubs bats in the uh, in the World Series.
0: Jock Peterson likes stealing other players' bits, it seems like like not only like physically lifting anthony rizzo's bat for his own use in the postseason but also like he was doing patrick wisdom's jersey tug for a while in the home run mm-hmm. trot as well as the fernando tati stutter step around third like it's, it's <laughs> weird as comics to watch that and see that ballplayers like yeah i'll just do your thing and make that my thing too and everybody's cool with it i guess
1: like there's no. I such guess thing so I player. guess it's not the same as like stealing a joke or something. I think it's probably more. They, they think of it as more of an homage to uh, <laughs> to that player. But
0: Jack you know. Peterson is the Carlos Mencia or the Ned Holness of ballplayers at this, at this point.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, he stole Tatis's celebration and he stole uh, Tatis's grandmother's pearls. <laughs> I thought he stole the pearls from Prince's video from the
0: early '90s. But nonetheless, that's <laughs> um, the one thing that kind of fascinated me watching last night's game was watching the two starting pitchers and their kind of response to really bad outings in their previous postseason uh, times in the mound. Jose Urquidy got annihilated by the Red Sox in game three to the point where um, like Kyle Schwarber's grand slam off him, like as soon as Schwarber got up to the plate, like my first thought was this is a grand slam. It's gone. It's obvious. Like, yeah. It was fascinating to see like, him approach the Red Sox lineup, where he started out retiring the first four guys in order, then gave up like, an eight- or nine-pitch walk to Alex Verdugo, and they just, just decided, I'm done with the strike zone. Like, was nibbling, was <laughs> timid, like, just as unaggressive as a postseason pitcher that I can remember, and eventually Schwarber came up with the bases loaded, he had to throw a strike, and it was destroyed. And last night, you kind of saw in the second inning, I think it was, the Braves had a bit of a rally going. And as soon as they got runners on base, like Maldonado and Correa went to the mound, and uh, without being demonstrative about it, we're clearly telling him, look, we're out here early, get your shit together, throw strikes. Mm-hmm. And he apparently listened, because he got out of it with yeah. a line drive, and then was pretty nails for the five innings he was out there. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, I, I I don't really have much to add to that, but uh, I think it's it's always impressive when somebody comes off a rough outing at <laughs> when the stakes are this high and they seem to settle down and and lock it in. Like I think uh, Luke Jackson is a good example yes. of that in terms of you know in Game Six he was absolutely beside himself thinking that he had potentially blown the Braves' chance to get to the World Series, and then obviously um, why am I blanking on his name? The, the lefty reliever. Yeah, came in and was uh, just unbelievable to get to get out of that. But I mean, Jax has already appeared in this series and and looked pretty comfortable. So, I mean, especially Mm -hmm. as a relief pitcher, as we know, you got to have a short memory. But I I imagine that's pretty hard when you're playing at this level with everybody watching you.
0: That's why John Lackey would have been a terrible relief pitcher because I got a long
1: memory. Not a bad lackey what, for one, two, one, two, one two, one of One of my absolute favorite baseball gifts is the one of him screaming fuck and then they just say fun instead <laughs> <said, laughs> fun. <laughs> That's
0: yeah. That, it's so weird that there was so much about John Lackey that was perfect for the two years he was here. I think partly because he was only here two years and we didn't have to see like the the lackiness of it for more than that. But uh, yeah, looking back on
1: it with surprising fondness. Uh, I I imagine he probably fared pretty well during lockdown since he was not really interested in haircuts. (laughs) (laughs) His time has
0: come. 40 years in preparation for just that moment. Yeah. uh, (laughs) uh, Contrast uh, Urquidy with Max Fried last night, Mm -hmm. who I felt was certainly better than game five against the Dodgers, um, where he let the moment get to him and was just middle-middle for the entire time he was out there. Yeah. And last night, Mike watched him in the second inning, and I, was, I saw a few middle-middle pitches and kind of thought, oh, it's the same thing. But in an astounding upset, John Smoltz took a break from complaining about everything in modern baseball and kind of had a decent point to make in terms of Max Fried's pitching strength is entirely locating uh, pitches on his glove side, which is pitches into the right-hand batters and he was going to his strength for the most part there were only a couple pitches left over the middle of the plate but the Houston Astros contact skill really negates that with so many strong right-handed batters in that lineup he was mm-hmm. essentially saying okay here it is and because the Astros don't have a lot of swing and miss in those guys like his strength unfortunately is their strength and that's the story of that second inning last night and he actually got away from that for the latter part of the game and started throwing more more curveballs to the outside of the plate and was a much more effective pitcher, but by then was too late. So that's interesting.
1: Yeah, and there was forward. some sloppy defense that didn't help. Right. That, that kind of made things worse. But
0: yeah, yeah. and a couple of bad hits too that weren't exactly helpful for him either. Well, that's kind
1: of the irony of it is that uh, I was I was watching with uh, Kevin, our our friend and and my co host on away games, and we were saying like Freed got hit really hard in the first inning. It's just that those hits found gloves. And then the second inning, it was not as nearly as hard of contact, but just balls that that found holes. Yeah, he was. It's
0: it's weird how that works, but also he was getting no swing and miss at all outside of the close strikeout in the first couple. And when you're doing that against a team, especially one that's as predict, uh, based around contact as the Astros are you really run the risk of having one of those big innings where bad luck combines with guys who know what to do when you pitch to their happy zones. And the Astros, I mean, the entire story of their postseason are those big innings where the momentum just keeps one right after the other, one guy after the other, just keeps smashing the hell out of the ball to the point where Martín goddamn Maldonado drove in a run. Like, yeah. if you get three tacos for a stolen base, if Martín Maldonado gets a single, everybody should get fucking filet mignon.
1: <laughs> i enjoyed that quite a bit that was
0: good thank yeah, thing, yeah I, I worked hard on it it's it is it is my world series piece de resistance at this point uh so going forward what fascinates me is that freed is far and away the best starting pitcher of this world series mm-hmm. and if that's how houston's strength performs against his strength i gotta imagine especially combined with the morton injury that. Atlanta's yeah. really got to need at a good outing from Ian Anderson in game three tomorrow uh, in order yeah. to really extend the series beyond
1: five or six games. Right. Yeah. I, losing Morton is is big. And by the way, perhaps there, that could be a, a potential collaboration, uh, Morton Steakhouse. Um, <laughs> there we go. Love it. But yeah, I, I think that's the Braves have a, have a good bullpen um, and, and they've done bullpen games in this playoffs, but when you lose someone the caliber of Morton, not only for the, the rest of the series, but also only having him go as, as long as he did in game one, you're just like immediately behind the eight ball, even, even though you've won game one. and 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 really my opinion, and I think you would agree with this is if the Braves don't win two of three in Atlanta, they've got no shot. Oh, yeah. I don't see any world in which they go back to Houston down three, two and win. I know the nationals did it a few years ago, but I just, I kind of, I, I feel like they really need to get business done in, in Atlanta.
0: Yeah, the Astros did it. Or I mean, the Nationals did it because they had Scherzer and Strasburg in games Six and Seven. And right. as we've been talking about for the past ten minutes, there are no Scherzers or Strasburgs in this World Series. So, yeah, the Braves no. absolutely have to hold serve at Suburban Bank Park, full of racist fans, um, <laughs> which I believe is is the corporate name of it at this point. They've already
1: changed names like three times. What the yeah. hell? Yeah, we got five
0: drill it's the most goddamn suburb thing. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if it becomes Chick-fil-A park at a certain point. Cause it that seems the direction they're headed. Yeah.
1: It's um, going to be a, a Hobby Lobby park.
0: <laughs> it's uh, honestly, I'd, I'd be okay with Hobby Lobby park, but
1: uh, Ooh, I, I don't think.
0: Good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, that's just cause I'm missing El Mago at this point. Um, and I guess final topic I want to talk about. Um, so how are you feeling about Dusty at this point? Like, it's, it's a complicated question for anybody who was there in 2003.
1: Well, it's interesting you ask that because uh, I was, as I always do, texting with my, my friend uh, Adam last night. And he brought up a really interesting point about Dusty, which is that Dusty used Ryan Presley, his closer, in the eighth inning against the heart of the, the Braves lineup. And that is something that 2003 Dusty would not have done because he was always like a very much by the book manager. Now, granted the Cubs had Joe Borowski, not Ryan Presley, but um, <laughs> I, I do think that it's possible that he has learned from some of his mistakes. Um, and I always had a reasonably good opinion about Dusty. There, There are things that he said and things that he did that I didn't love, but my overall feeling about Dusty Baker as a human being is a good one. And so, for me, that's like one of the only things that makes the Astros winning tolerable is that it certainly fortifies his Hall of Fame case. Um, and he has like, some of it's his fault and some of it's his mismanagement, but like he's had a pretty rough stretch. When you look at the Giants being up 5 nothing against the Angels in the seventh inning of, of the World Series and then getting rally monkeyed and then what happened in 2003 and 2004 um, and then what happened with the Nationals, like I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't hate seeing him get a ring. How do you feel about it?
0: Yeah, I, for a number a number of years, hell, probably decades, because I'm me, uh, held on to the bitterness for quite a while with him that uh, I do not think he was a particularly good manager for a lot of his Cubs tenure. Um, the 2003 NLCS, like, that was where everything turned, of course, where his, his first year, like, like, I really bought in with everybody else, like, mm-hmm. it was... And Dusty, we trusty. Yeah, and Dusty, we trusty. He came in with the hype of being a superstar manager and things had changed so dramatically during that regular season, I thought, oh, God, absolutely, yes, this is what happens when you get a guy who knows what he's doing. And 2003, NLCS, I felt, exposed him as someone who didn't know what he was doing at all. And 2004 was just an abomination. Like it, the, he, he was the, the leader, unfortunately, of that clubhouse in terms of that us-against-the-world mm-hmm. mentality that he cultivated from the start of that year that made them into such an angry, unlikable bunch for most of the season. And in 2005 and 2006, I felt he just quit at that point. So I really felt like I'd been sold a bill of goods with him for a long time. Um, And I think over the years, and obviously 2016 helps with this immensely, but uh, I think one of the lessons of 2016 to me is that I need to let go of a lot of that fan trauma uh, and just kind of acknowledge my feelings about it, but also try to move past it at a certain point. Mm-hmm. And a big part of that letting go is um, letting go of some of the fan grudges I've held against guys like Dusty. And especially since there are people like Jed Hoyer who are much more deserving of fan grudges at this point. <laughs> uh, and I think what also really cements that for me, and I wrote about this on Tuesday at OutSports, is just how much of an uh and just how much of an, a great ally Dusty has been to the LGBTQ community and especially to a player like Glenn Burke, who came up in 1977 with the Dodgers. And while never officially like, making a coming out announcement, his teammates figured out that he was gay and he didn't try to hide it from them at any point. Mm-hmm. And Dusty Baker, because he had learned this at the feet of Henry Aaron when he came up with the Braves himself, had kind of taken it upon himself to be the guy who took all the black players in on his team under his wing and kind of introduced them to big league life, kind of eased their transitions and was like kind of someone who was there for them. If they needed someone to go to the veteran in the mm-hmm. clubhouse to kind of talk about what it was like being black in the major leagues in the seventies. And Glenn Burke was a, just a likable as hell person, really joyful, funny, effervescent love to quote Richard Pryor in the clubhouse <laughs> and Dusty Baker was a large part of his making things easy on him and not easy, but making things, making his acceptance, uh, bridging mm-hmm. his acceptance, I should be saying, into the clubhouse and into the culture of the Dodgers team. And Dusty Baker, mm-hmm. compared to people like genuine homophobes like Tommy Lasorda, displayed genuine leadership in terms of his acceptance of Glenn Burke for who he was and his welcoming nature with, with Glenn Burke. And even since then, like Dusty Baker befriended Tommy Lasorda's gay son, which again was more than Lasorda ever did. Um, Dusty Baker, a couple of years ago, after the Josh Hader tweets went out, uh, gave an interview to Ken Rosenthal, where he said that he understands the burden of closeted gay players, because there are closeted gay players in the big leagues. And he says, yeah, that's gotta be killing them. That's that they have to live this life, but they're also gifted with, the skills to play baseball. So that's kind of their business. And uh, so he understands the, the conflict there. And it, it, if baseball had more people like him, I think it would be, we would see a player come out sooner because he doesn't hide the fact that he's an ally to our community. And he it creates the kind of encouraging environment in the clubhouse that I think would make acceptance easier for uh, a gay player who wanted to
1: come out. And so yeah. kind of helping that end, you know. That's... Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know uh, much of that history, and, and I, it, it heartens me to hear that, especially because Baker has always had a reputation as being like a very old-school kind of guy, and I'm glad that that old-school mentality does not extend to mm-hmm. uh, antiquated opinions about things. Yeah, yeah.
0: he's old-school in terms of his baseball strategy, obviously, come playing in the late 60s and 70s, but he's all, also always been kind of the voice of baseball hipsterdom. Like, even in his playing days, like, he was talking to sports writers about Miles Davis, which I don't, you wouldn't expect, like, fucking Steve Garvey to ever do, certainly. So, uh, (laughs) that is actually his official name, I believe, is fucking Steve Garvey. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, that is, that would be on his Hall of Fame plaque based on the fact that he fathered half of Southern California in the 80s, but that's neither here nor there. I've Uh, told you
1: my Steve Garvey story, have I not? I'm not sure you have, but tell it to the listening audience. I went to the MLB Fan Fest, which is something that they have um, like in conjunction with the All-Star Game. Uh, when the All-Star Game was last at Yankee Stadium in 2008, I was wearing my Cubs uh, paraphernalia, including a Kosuke oh, no. Fukudome jersey, and they had autograph signings for free, um, and one of the people signing autographs was Steve Garvey, who, despite all of his other accomplishments when he saw my Cubs jersey, signed his name, and then underneath it wrote 1984 NLCS MVP jesus christ that's yeah go fuck yourself dude that's, and so in terms you'd of you'd rather go fuck the someone else than
0: create a child oh, yeah. yes <laughs> go fuck yourself as as preparation for like any <laughs> baseball groupie that you ran into in 1984 yeah uh so i guess so the lesson of all this is i'm trying to let go of the bitterness in terms of dusty but in terms of steve garvey yeah i'm doubling down baby <laughs> you and will
1: Clark can go to hell dude as you should as you should yeah uh, Adam Amala, do you have anything to plug? Will I still have you here? You know, I do have some things to plug. Um, I don't know where where your listeners are, I imagine, all over the place. But um, for anybody who's in the New York area, I'm going to be headlining Stand Up New York on Tuesday, oh, yeah. November 30th. And that will be a tune-up for, uh, I don't even think I've told you this, uh, my album recording of my second album at Zanies in Chicago on Ooh. December 3rd and 4th. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, so I, I... I...
1: yeah. Was planning on being there regardless, but um,
0: yeah, be there. I'll be there for history. That's awesome.
1: Exactly. Exactly. You'll get to hear your, your uh, baritone laugh on the album. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Like, yeah, that that is, that's going to be, that's going to end up being my biggest credit. Like uh,
0: I I went to go see uh, my friend, Michael Palisak tape a Letterman set back when I was living in New York. And there are a couple points on his Letterman set where you can distinctly pick out my laugh in the crowd. So that's that great. is the closest I i've it. gotten to a real tv credit all these years.
1: well, i uh, i realize i should actually share the the information of where you can find that. It. it's all um if you go to my twitter or instagram um which i'm sure will be linked to but it's adam mamawala. uh adam is spelled like adam and then uh m a m a w a l a. um and if you go to either of those profiles you'll find links to said shows. uh that makes me you you talking about hearing your laugh on Palace X? set reminds me of an old mitch hedberg joke where he uh, on an album where he calls someone out for having a distinctive laugh, and and goes, "Only problem with having a d- distinctive laugh is I know exactly when you're not laughing." <laughs> Ooh, I guess I guess distinctive laugh doesn't think that joke was funny. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh gosh, I can't think of anything better to go on than putting one of the masters, Adam Mamawala, It's been a delight with all sir.